Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. So I actually thought this was a joke, but apparently it's not. This whole idea that cows are not good for the environment, which is really weird because they're vegans. So that makes me very, very confused. Here's a whole bunch of vegans who apparently can impact the environment. Dr. Carl is our science communicator, and uh, maybe he can help us through this difficult terrain. Dr. Carl, good morning. How are you? Very well, thank you. And you? I am well. So how is it possible for vegans to be bad for the environment? Suppose a vegan is an ex-murderer. Are they then not bad for the environment of humans around them? <laughs> All right, fine, point made. But let's talk about <laughs> And quite simply, he made that point with very, very uh, little uh, you know, effort. He just seemed to, to do away with that. Right, let's talk about cows. Uh, why are cows potentially problematic? Well, beef production and consumption has a very large environmental footprint and it comes from them emitting, them, the cattle, emitting emissions from their mouths by burping. They do more of that than farting. And, of course, land, cha- land changing, use the use of the land around them and the fermentation in their gut, the manure management, the fertilisation that is needed, the carbon dioxide emissions from the changes in the environment in biomass above ground and below ground. And then when you transport the cattle and export it and package it and process it, and then what happens with regard to the forest that used to be there, you end up with a significant amount of greenhouse gases coming from cattle. But on the other hand, on the other hand, um, beef is economically important from an agricultural point of view. And there's about 8 billion people on earth. And 0.6 of a billion mm-hmm. are small landhold farmers who, to some degree, rely on livestock farming, and on the other hand, the gases that they emit account for a significant percentage, a few percent of global emissions of, uh, with regard to global warming, so we have to put all of these together into a package to understand what's going on and make the, life, the world better for our kids so that we don't have droughts and floods. Mm. And we've found that if we add a tiny percentage of a certain type of seaweed, red seaweed that grows in the tropics, Asparagoptus taxiformis, we add half a percent of that to their feed, so their feed is 95% regular, whatever they have, and 5% this. It can cut methane emissions by 80%, but there's 1.5 billion cattle on Earth, mm. so how do we harvest enough seaweed to do that? And, uh, and, and so we need to sort of look at the whole picture, but this is part of our heading towards stopping and reversing global warming. And cattle is a part of it. The easiest big one, of course, is just to leave all the carbon atoms that are in the ground already just leave them there. Don't take them out. And whatever's in the atmosphere will just gradually get pulled out by natural sinks. Are we getting any better at this in, in terms of, because when we look at what go, what, what's happening around the world in terms of heat waves, in terms of, of flooding, it is, it's very, very, Alarming. Are we starting? And I know we talk it, and we have all of the summits, and we have all we sign all of these agreements. But actually, are we doing the right thing to 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 reverse this uh, um, horror that we are inflicting on our on our world? No, oh. it's very simple. So take the example of tobacco, mm-hmm. and even now in the American Senate for a committee. 
tobacco company executives in America, well-educated, will stand up in front of the Senate committee and say they have no evidence whatsoever that tobacco is harmful for a person's health. What? Yeah, they're still doing it. And with regard to alcohol, a few years ago in every hospital in Australia appeared a large poster, A0, saying that it has not been proven that drinking alcohol by a pregnant woman can be dangerous to the health of the unborn baby. They're lying. And in the same way, the fossil fuel companies are lying. But they've got a much bigger stake, not just babies with fetal alcohol, not just people dying from lung cancer, but the temperature of the entire planet. But they're, they're lying. The, the fossil fuel companies have gone through five stages of lying beginning in 1990. First one, um, there's no such thing as global warming. Right. Second one, okay, there is global warming, but it's not our fault. Third one, it is our fault, but actually it's got to be good for you because you don't have to wear so many jumpers in winter. Fourth one, look, there is, there is some global warming, and it's causing a bit of warming, and there might be a little bit of harm, but really more people die of cold weather than hot weather. And the last one they're doing right now is to say it's too late. We've got to keep burning fossil fuels. Uh, and all we have to do yeah. is not remove any fossil carbon out of the ground. Coal, natural gas or oil. Just leave it in the ground. But that would cut their profits. And so it's cheaper for them to bribe politicians than it is to cut into their profits. Absolutely unbelievable. I mean, are they the biggest culprits by far in in, in global warming and climate change? Fossil fuel companies have mm. been lying consistently since 1990. Read the book The New Climate War by Michael Mann, M-A-N-N, and also um, the book by Naomi Oreskes, Merchants of Doubt. And you'll see how they've been lying since 1990. It's nothing personal. They don't particularly want you to have a drought in your area, no, no, no. but they no. really don't want to cut their profits down. And by the way, out of the $85 trillion that is the combined sum of all of the 200-plus countries on Earth together, $85 trillion, they get us free money, $5.9 trillion every year. 8% of the world's budget is given to them as a free money subsidy every year. That's, what, that's how, how successfully they've bribed the politicians around the world. Um, Nothing personal, yeah. it's just business. Yeah, business is business. Plants can emit ultrason ultrasonic sound as loud as human conversation, but, uh, but at a different frequency. Tell us about this. Yeah, that's really, really surprising. I had no idea. I've been hearing that plants will scream, mm. and I thought this was a metaphorical thing. Mm -hmm. And certainly, if you cut a plant and it's going to die, you would think it would complain. I'd complain if somebody mm. chopped off mm. my arm. So they emit a sound, but while it's as loud as human conversation, it's way out of our hearing range. Human hearing, up to 20,000 hertz. This sound... 40 to 80,000, and these sounds are different between different plants, roses, different from asparagus and so forth, and they happen when the plant is unhappy in some way, when it's cut or when it's deprived of water. So a plant, for example, gives a tomato plant gives out different sounds for whether when it's fully supplied with water, a little bit thirsty, a lot thirsty, or very thirsty. And these noises go out into the environment 
And some insects, such as moths mm-hmm. and um, mice <coughs> and bats, they can hear these noises. It also goes the other way. When a bee is flying around near a plant, it's emitting ultrasounds, and once it's been there for three minutes, the plants nearby that want to attract those bees so they can carry the pollen from one place to another, they start making a sweeter nectar within three minutes. Unbelievable. Absolutely fascinating. Dr. Carl, thank you as always. That is where we leave it. It is 7.27. I'm Howard Feldman. A very, very good morning.